This is Parenting for the Everyday. I'm Becca Alvarez. And I'm Holly Dyke Andrew. We are two moms currently down in the trenches of parenthood. We want to create a community of support and encouragement as we set out to find the answers to the parenting questions that everyone is asking. From the easy stuff to the hard stuff, we want to talk about it all. So today we are talking about fear in parenting, and we have two very special guests, two administrators at Cuyahoga Valley Christian Academy, Jason Spodnik and Matt Coons. Please tell us about yourselves, who you are, your family, and what do you do? Well, Becca, Holly, thanks so much for having us. It's uh, wonderful to be here. Appreciate you guys. Really appreciate your ministry. And um, so it's an honor to be with you. Uh, I've been at CVCA. I currently serve as the associate head of school and I've been there since uh, I think 2000 was my first year. And wore a lot of different hats over the years, an administrator, teacher, coach. Uh, I was on staff at CCC for a couple years as well um, in pastoral ministry. Uh, we have four children. My wife and I have been married for 26 years this summer. Thanks, Matt. And thanks for inviting us again, you guys. This is great. Um, I'm Jason, and I'm the president and head of school at CVCA, and I've been around about the same amount of time as Matt, a little over 20 years, and we have two kids, one who's about to get married in a few weeks, and one who is a rising senior, and he's not the one about getting married in high school, (laughs) by the way, Um, and uh, my wife, she also is an eighth grade teacher at the school, so we are just... um, flabbergasted. We've been there in so many different roles and excited to talk about this topic because it is very real to us and many of our parents. Fun fact, Matt and I actually went, like his first year was my first year at CBC. I think we talked about you calling me Dr. Coons throughout the course Yeah, well, actually, this is the first time I've ever said (laughs) Professional titles only. That's right. Dr. Coons? (laughs) On air for all of your listeners. That's right. Thank you guys again for being here. This really was kind of a dream topic of mine. I think as my son begins to get older and being out in the world more, fear is something that feels very real to me and gets very scary very fast. Specifically, so March 27th um, was when the Nashville shooting happened. And something about that shooting impacted me in a different way than I'd ever experienced before. I don't know if it was because this is the first one where I really had kids but I think most of it was that this Nashville shooting happened in a elementary school of a private schooling system in a religious sector. And it felt like, what is more safe than that place? Yeah. And it just shattered this illusion that I had of where my kids could go that would be safe. So sometimes as a parent, I don't know how to process that fear and how to even keep going in this world that's getting scarier and scarier. So what do you say to that parent that's just struggling, struggling with the fact that maybe there aren't safe places that you thought were safe at one point? Um, Yeah, I think, um, Becca, you're struggling with a question that all of us struggle with. Like this topic matters in a lot of ways for us to have dialogue about. And Um, As I think about just from a biblical perspective, and we'll probably get into this a little bit, we do want to mourn and lament appropriately, and sometimes we kind of get to the good news and don't 
um, process the bad news. And, and I think we do, you know, you, you can mention that event, you can mention lots of other events in our world where, you know, we have, there's two worlds. Think about this biblically, like the, the world in Genesis one and two is a perfect place and God created flourishing and it's a, it's wonderful and it's amazing. And then what happens in Genesis 3 now has created another world. So we're living certainly kind of in between, right? Because we're all as, as believers looking towards the next world. But um, I thought about, um, as I was thinking about this topic, um, one time somebody asked Dallas Willard, if you had to describe Jesus, what word or words would you use? And his, his response was, Jesus was relaxed. And so as, as we kind of start to unpack this whole idea, you know, Jesus and us as believers, while we lament the difficulties and pains and sorrows, we also have a hope and a confidence and assurance that the world literally has no framework for. So um, I think it's a, it's a really important topic for us to kind of dive into a little bit and have some discussion around and then try to think about this from a, from a biblical perspective, a big picture perspective. And practically, from what Matt was just saying, to create conversation in and around it. So many times fear um, is manifested in isolation, and we fill in our own blanks when we don't know the answer. And sometimes I think that fear is almost the opposite of knowledge and understanding of even what Matt was talking about or whatever the topic might be. And if we can practically create times of community and conversation when we have these feelings, because our own sin will take us down into corners we don't want to be, but if we can refocus together creating these conversations in community to remind us of the goodness that Matt is talking about in a fallen world, practically speaking, I probably need that on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. Either what you were talking about, Becca, of, oh boy, I've got a two-year-old and I'm about to send them off, or a 22-year-old where I'm about to send her off in a different way. Fear is just knocking at the door. Um, And I think community and conversation allows us to battle that a little bit. Yeah, let's talk about the ways that maybe fear would inhibit our parenting, our gospel-centered parenting. You mentioned like it takes you to places of isolation, and then of course that's dangerous because now the enemy can speak lies and you need that truth. But what are other ways that fear would maybe uh, inhibit our parenting uh, from its full potential? Well, even on a psychological perspective, we know what fear does when it is in isolation or avoidance. It grows and it can manifest and it can become completely debilitating. And so we know that aspect of just on a mental health side of it. I think um, sometimes fear, um, it changes the way we parent because it changes the way that we even think about love. So sometimes I'm fearful on if my kids like me or I'm fearful that uh, to try something new and it stops me from my God-given responsibility of look, walk into this with them, Mm -hmm. walk into this new adventure, walk into this hard conversation. And then when that fear starts changing our definitions, I think that inhibits us as parents. Yeah. And Becky, even as you were talking, I was thinking about um, anxiety is always an overestimation um, of our problem. Like we catastrophize things, but then it's also an underestimation of God's wise and good plan for our lives. So 
oftentimes, and we can just speak real candidly as parents, Jason and I certainly don't have all the answers to this, but even in our own lives, when we start to, you know, we all have these voices, we all have this inner narrative, and those voices, when we start playing that real, right, and, and we start listening to voices we shouldn't listen to, that's why I think Jason's point, like, we, we, we preach the gospel to ourselves, we remind ourselves of the goodness of God and God's wisdom and his plan for us, in light of the fact that we're still in between, like, we're, we're not trying to diminish the fact that these bad and broken and awful and atrocious things are happening in our world, so... Um, but I, as, as far as it, how it how it affects our parenting, um, that that's complicated because of the messages in culture are such that you know safety is such an important value, and and it's not that for us as Christians, it's not that safety doesn't matter, but loving Jesus is always more important even than safety or our family or our work or our ministry or all these good things that unfortunately become ultimate things. So at the probably at the end of the day, what we're what we're kind of getting into is the the conversation around idolatry. Like all of a sudden the the safety of my child becomes more important than the holiness and the the sanctification and the Christ likeness of my kid. And and we all struggle with that, right? I'm not we're not saying we none of us is Christians say safety doesn't matter. It does. It's important. It's it's like I'm called to love Sarah, but I'm always called to love Jesus more. And when I when I mix that up, now all of a sudden it creates all kinds of problems in my relationship with Sarah, my relationship with my kids. Um, and again, those are things we can unpack a little bit more, maybe how that takes place. Yeah, and I think that that is such a good point. There's something that my dad would tell me. I traveled a bunch as a kid, which now, in hindsight, I'm thinking that my parents were insane (laughs) with some of the things that they let me do. But something that he always reminded me, because right before a trip, no matter how much I wanted to go on it, I'd get really scared right before we left. And he would always remind me, Becca, the safest place you can be is in the middle of God's will for your life. And I think that's so true. And we lose that sometimes when we feel like the world is too scary. I just want to keep everyone home. I want to keep everyone safe. It doesn't matter what I maybe feel like God's will is for my life because I I want to take control and keep keep it just close and safe and have no one get hurt ever. But you stop living also. Yeah, I mean, today's world is really scary. Um, We've talked about, you know, school shootings, you know, there's kidnappings, there's, you know, pedophiles, there's so many things that become a very scary thing to raise kids in. How do we process these bad, scary, big things in light of the gospel? How do we make sense of them in light of the gospel? Well, I think, um, first of all, I would maybe respond with all things sad are going to become untrue. So, our, our perception of the world to come is going to inform how I live today. And so if I come to the table not understanding the gospel, if I come to the table maybe even not believing in God and who God is or a naturalistic framework, I literally don't have the tools to process what it means to, Becca, just your comment, to live life. Like, I, this is why Jesus said, I want you to have life abundantly. I want you to have freedom. That what we're describing then is is slavery on the other end of this, right? Jesus and Paul talks about that. True freedom is ultimately going to be found in the gospel and and following after Christ. Now, we need to put some caveats in this, right? We're, we're not called to be 
adrenaline junkies for Jesus. <laughs> and and I know that's reckless. not right. We're not called to be reckless. We need to figure out the how to how to um, you know what's the the way of wisdom, you know, living in accordance with the way that God created the world. How do we do that? Listen to his voice, be courageous, but at the same time, remember that, you know, what God calls me to is always going to be at the forefront. And sometimes that's going to involve some measures of risk uh, in our own in our own lives, maybe in our own families. I have a a friend um, who he and his wife are in a very, I can't even say the place over the air, but they're in a very dark place in the world. So they are uh, in the Middle East right now, and they've moved from one dangerous country to a, <laughs> the kind of country you don't want to wear an I Heart Jesus shirt in. Like they're in that country. And in that country, she just had another child. They have three young kids. They are, you know, um, they're following hard after God. They they came back um, and we had a chance to meet with them and they shared with one of my classes that I teach. And the question came out, like, how do you guys justify this? Like, you have a small, young family. How do you justify this to your to yourselves, to your spouse, to your supporters? Because it almost feels reckless and careless. And at the end of the day, um, you know, I think their response to that was, we don't have the same values as our culture has. We have these upside-down values that the the gospel brings into our lives that, yeah, maybe on the surface it seems kind of crazy, and God doesn't call all of us to the place that he, he has called them, but to ignore the voice of God in that is is obviously a dangerous place for all of us to be as, as Christians. I keep thinking of Aslan at this point, right? Safe and good. I keep thinking of what that looks like, and we're called to live beyond with that in mind. It doesn't take the fear away. I, I, people keep always want to say that, you know, courage, you know, have courage in the midst of this, and is courage the absence of fear? And we've been told this over and over again. It doesn't, doesn't change the fear from coming up, but as we are called to live victoriously, what does that mean in a broken world, Holly? You, you mentioned all these things, and we could mention... 10 more mm-hmm. that would make us scared of this this is the world that we're letting our kids go into when most of us growing up or maybe me as the old person in the room drive around drive your bike anywhere you want to leave your door unlocked you know leave at 7 a.m. and come back at 3 p.m. and maybe your parents knew where you were those days it's seem a like world. a long time mm-hmm. ago but we're still we still have the same call of living courageously with the Lord in mind knowing that we can lock our doors and keep ourselves as safe as we think but that's not good safe and good are two different things as we're called to it so i think we need to keep reminding each other of that as frequently as possible in a broken world and holly can i go back and just answer one more part of your question as, yes. as we look at like the atrocities that are taking place in the world um I think one of the bedrocks for us is the notion of hope. So those other perspectives and worldviews, they're not able to offer any structure or framework for the hope that we have in Christ. I'm going to read just a quick passage from Paul that's been really important in my life. But in 2 Corinthians 4, Paul says, So we do not lose heart, though our outward self is wasting away, our inward self is being renewed day by day. For this light, listen to how he says this, our our light and momentary afflictions 
are preparing for us an eternal weight of glory. So we don't fix our eyes on what is seen, we fix our eyes on what is unseen. So as a result of what Jesus has done in the good news of the gospel, we have, you know, we talk about an eternal perspective. And as we work with students and try to help them understand and process some of these really difficult things, that is that is absolutely critical. Our kids need hope, just like all of us need hope in light of the devastation and the pain and the difficulty globally, but then even in our own lives. Like mm-hmm. we could sit here and talk about the pain and difficulty that we all face, but we have hope. And that's what Paul is reminding us of. I also think it's so easy to get stuck on the bad because it's just. When you have a bad day, you remember everything about your bad day, but you could have six good days and one bad day, and the bad day sticks out. And so I think it's also remembering that although there is so much evil and terribleness in the world, there is also good. There's something that happened during COVID that I really, really love, but John Krasinski, who's an actor, came up with a news channel mm-hmm. that was some good news, yeah. and it just showed like heartwarming good things that were still happening when everything felt so dark and so depressing. And so I think that if you're finding yourself in a place that you're only seeing bad, it's trying a little bit harder to look and find the good and remember that good exists and good happens every day, even when bad things happen too. Yeah. So let's switch a little bit and go to like a daily practical standpoint. So we mentioned this notion of um, we're not called to just throw caution in the wind, right? I'm still going to put my kids in their seat buckles like when we get in the car um, to keep them safe. So how do we find that line between walking um, boldly and courageously, but also being wise and using the brain that God gave us and the, the information that we have before us as we make decisions as parents for our kids? First thing I think of is wise counsel, right? The, the Lord brings people into our lives. Uh, we have experience on our own, but we're called to community. And I'll still go back to those conversations where there are people that are in front of us, there are people that are beside us and behind us, and, and that community allows us to bump ideas, to pray together, to talk together, to to talk about what's going on in each other's lives, to remind them of the good news, Becca, like you talked about, of, boy, if I need some redirecting. I need, I need some sharpening when I'm headed in that direction. So I, I think that idea of wise counsel, where sometimes we do have that illusion of control, um, and to be reminded that these people have been brought into our life for a reason, and they help not just in that moment, but they help beyond that moment. Um, Because we can get so what is right in front of our nose, and that is all that is going on. And I think when we broaden our perspective for the other people that God has brought into our life, that allows us to see perspective that we sometimes don't. Yeah, and I would add, um, we want to teach our kids in ways that are prudent and wise and biblical. But, you know, sometimes that does mean we need to take some risks and we need to model that in ways that are appropriate. So the the way I sometimes think about this is what I'll call our ability spectrum. So if we if you can imagine having a stack of Legos in front of us, so if we have a stack of Legos, let's let that represent our abilities. Those are our gifts, our talents, our resources. And you know, oftentimes God calls us to do something right in our ability. We go, oh, we, 
you know, God's calling us to do it. We can accomplish that. Got it. Done. Check. Move on, right? But then there's also times that God calls us to do something that would be outside of that spectrum, that we go, I don't have the resources, the talents. I can't accomplish that thing on my own. And what that looks like is foolish. What that is is risk. But what that allows for when from time to time we do those things that are outside of our comfort zone or ability spectrum, it allows for God to bridge the gap. And, and then we find that's where joy lives. Like joy lives in us stepping back from that and going, I, I couldn't, I didn't accomplish those things. That was accomplished because of the work of Christ in my life. It's in my weakness that I'm made, I'm made strong. I boast in the gospel. I boast in the work of Christ in my life. So I've said for a long time, and, and this I know sounds self-demeaning, uh, but it, it's a reality. Like my ability spectrum isn't that tall. <laughs> And I, have I agree mom. with that, Dr. Coons. <laughs> you, you be quiet. Okay. Uh, I have a mom who prays for me, right? Even to you know, even now, who prays for me, and and I feel like I I tapped out my abilities a long time ago, and then she has just drugged me along through her prayers and her support in that way, and I've got to just like every day, I feel like, well, God did it again because I don't have the capacity, ability, resources to accomplish the things that He's asking me to, and again, that's where joy lives, but. If we live, um, if we live kind of a, a sheltered-ish life and, and don't allow ourselves or our kids to have and experience some of those risks in appropriate ways, then we miss out on the opportunities that God might have to demonstrate, um, demonstrate his power in our lives and his sovereignty and his joy. So I think sometimes we miss that. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of that analogy of, I think it and you guys might know this, but so correct me if I'm wrong. I think it starts with um, people that have been shipwrecked or they're stranded in the ocean and they start praying that God would rescue them. And so a big boat passes by and they say, no, 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 no. I'm waiting for God to rescue me. I won't take your help because I'm just waiting. And I think that's kind of the balance of what you guys are talking about is, is praying and having God assist you with the ability, but also having the wisdom to see when that risk is there and when that safety boat is there and taking the safety as it is provided. I might be part of the answer. So he might have sent someone else. What Matt said right there, that idea of in these troubles that we're talking about, the worries, the fears, whatever it might be, the risks, knowing that God calls us out of our comfort zone. If we were to stay there, we would be living in our own sin. But the idea of, yeah, if I think I can do this all on my own, I'm going to just check off the boxes on what I think I can do, then we're just one step away from the arrogance and the pride that comes from staying right in our wheelhouse, knowing that we are called to live in some uncomfortable ways so that the Lord can be seen and while we're talking about fear, that is a wonderful thing to remember, that there are going to be some uncomfortable moments where we are called to go. Uh, I've had conversations with many of our alums of having those conversations with their parents on, boy, I might be called to the mission field, or I might be called down to Dallas and live with my new husband that our parents are wondering, oh yeah, that's me. Um, <laughs> but though. As you are called, it's going to be out of your comfort zone, and that modeling that we can do for our kids is probably going to be more important than anything we say. Is there a um, kind of 
pattern or a path pathway that you would follow from having these conversations with your kids? Obviously, when you have little kids, you're not going to be talking about uh, some of these bigger concepts in this much detail or a theological concept. So how do you have the conversations with little kids? And then kind of as they grow up to be teenagers and adults, how do these conversations evolve? Are you initiating them? Do you wait for your kids to be scared? Do you uh, model that where they see like, hey, mom is scared in this situation. Let me see how she responds. Kind of how how do you practically walk your kids through this? Well, many times I hide around the house and I just jump <laughs> out. Oh, no, that's just not. Dip. The, the object lessons. <laughs> got it, got it. Good, experience is the best teacher. Okay, I'm going to let you go on this one <laughs> since I answered that way. Um, yeah. Holly, I think um, just as a as a parent, there are different developmental seasons that our kids are in. So, how that looks when they're young versus how that looks for you know Sarah and my children now is is probably different. You know, we're thinking about these things. We're hopefully, as Jason says, we're modeling. Our more is caught than taught, and so um, in uh, recently, I was listening to somebody, I can't remember who, who talked about this, but she was describing how anxious parents create anxious children. In fact, if I have a lot of anxiety as a parent, my kid's going to be seven times more likely to be just an anxious kid. So I think, I think the place to start, this isn't going to answer your question directly in light of all of those developmental phases, probably the the best place to start is just a personal assessment. Like, where am I at? What's my anxiety level? What's my fear level? How am I responding to those things? Because fear and anxiety come out in strange ways. They come out in, in anger sometimes. They get cloaked in other, in other way. They often come out in intensity for us. So we get scared for our kid and we get nervous and we have anxiety around something that might threaten their safety. And then what happens is my intensity level begins to increase, my voice gets louder, and ironically, my voice gets quieter all at the same time. Like I get dismissed, as we work with middle school and high school kids, you know, the parent who has the best intentions in mind, while that intensity keeps rising and the voice keeps getting louder, their effectiveness keeps diminishing. Mm -hmm. So trying to figure out like, how do I just take an assessment? Because I'm, I'm still of the fairly strong opinion. That's why you had us on here. So I guess I'll share it. But the, I'm, I'm of the opinion that at the end of the day, we have to identify our idols because these fears and anxieties and angers, these things are probably coming out of the good things that become ultimate things that are always destructive things. They're destructive in my own life and my kid's life. And it can be a whole host of things. It can be the fear of failure, the fear that my kid's not going to succeed, uh, the fear that he's not getting or she's not getting enough playing time and the implications for that. And then the inability to step back from that and recognize, okay, something that might be a really good thing is now becoming too important. So how can I do the gospel work then of reminding myself, as we started with, how do I remind myself that Jesus lived the life I should have lived, died the death I should have died, my idea identity is now in him. It's not in my kid. It's not in my kid's success. And it's actually not even in my kid's safety. Even though none of those things are bad, they just get inflated. They become too important. And I think, Holly, to your question, to transparently look for the opportunities to have those conversations in your living room, mm -hmm. to let your kids know appropriately at the right age and stage 
that here is something that I'm struggling with. Here and and here's how I've tried to combat it. And even even the other day, again, we've got a we've got a junior in high school and a 22 year old, and talking through some big life decisions. And I could feel it manifest in some intensity in how I was trying to have my. I'm sure that was your, your wife, right? <laughs> No comments, please. <laughs> um, but that idea of then opening it up into what turned into a, a wonderful God-moving conversation where there was some transparency and some apology and some forgiveness asked and a time of prayer of saying, look, I'm not going to do this perfectly, and I do have some fear that crops up, and I do have an illusion of control, and I want to actually bring this to the family and while we were talking about it, that moment to say, here's a tool on how you might be able to do it to stay away from that isolation that we talked about earlier. And that was just a reminder this week. It probably happens on a, a monthly basis where if we can be transparent in maybe our missteps and some of the potholes, some of the fears that we might have and what God's doing to teach us through some of that, I think they can see some of those um, bumps in the road as a part of a, a sovereign God's plan for their life, um, there's lessons to learn in that, not to back off, but to actually lean into it. Yeah, and I, I think, too, uh, to what Matt was saying, too, kind of works in tandem with this godly wisdom and godly counsel. So this idea of taking an assessment, sometimes we can't do that on our own, and so making sure we're surrounded by people who are able to help us do that and speak truth into us feels like it would be pretty crucial. Yeah, and sometimes that, that anxiety in our own lives is really hard to identify, like you're describing. I need need a little community around me to tell me, hey, I, I think maybe you're you're having some anxiety, you're having some fear, um, and then how we process that. So We've spent a lot of this episode talking about kind of the fear and the unknown of the world and the dangers of the world, but what happens when it's your own kids that make a decision that then leads to fear of how that will impact their future? And how do you deal with that type of fear? Yeah, that giving up the control that you even were just talking about having to do in your own home. Um, Matt, what do you have to say about that one? <laughs> it's so hard. <laughs> it is. That's a tough one. Um, the A uh, couple things on that. Number one, I think that we are afraid of failure and we love success. But those two usually don't go hand in hand. So if, if we all said, all right, what's the biggest lesson you've learned in your life? And we get that in our head. We probably, that biggest lesson in our lives is probably not connected to our successes. That's probably connected to our failure. So the times that we've either misstepped or made mistakes, you know, we laughed a little bit ago that experience is the best teacher. And so it, it is indicative of this conversation to be very aware of the, how God uses failure and difficulty and adversity in our lives in ways for our good and actually for his glory. I'll give one example, and then Jason will really answer this question. But I think about the disciples. You know, they go through this life of ministry with Jesus. He's their greatest hope. He's the Messiah. They're probably thinking about him in a political sense. And then he gets arrested, he gets beaten, he gets taken to the cross, and he gets executed. And I would imagine that the disciples, as they either hear that or watch that, they, they realize this is the darkest day that they've ever had in their entire lives. 
But what do we do? We look back at that and we celebrate that day. That's the best day in human history because Jesus took care of our sin. Because what? We have perspective. So our what we're trying to do with our kids is, is keep the, the hope of the gospel in front of them in a way that's palatable and real, and we're you know embodying who Jesus is for our families in ways where we're willing to take some of those risks, um, but also to to walk with them in the providence and and goodness of God in light of some really hard stuff, and be willing to lament that as well. Well, as we kind of uh, wrap up here, I first want to say thank you for being here again. I am personally so grateful just that the way that you guys have spoken wisdom and truth here today, but also just in my life over the years as well. So um, one last thing, if you had to kind of wrap up our time and as administrators bring kind of your professional uh, mindset into it, what are your goals for students? What do you want parents to hear, especially in a world that feels darker each day? What do you want your students to kind of take away? I think about prepared and equipped. So as the world changes, the gospel does not. And we get to sit here at this time in history with some of the greatest opportunities to shine his light in a, in a dark world. And sometimes uh, in my own living room and in parents that we talk to, uh, we have a choice of preparing the path for the kid or preparing the kid for the path and reminding ourselves as a school, we want to prepare. We might have even, maybe we even got through this whole thing without saying the word protect when we talk about safety and fear. And that's certainly an important part of it, but we want to double down on preparing. So whether not even just in a college prep sense, when we talk about preparation of knowing who you are in Christ and what the Lord has for you for whatever profession or college that you're going to go to. So when I think of major goals, I think of equipping and preparing to walk in the light of the gospel, multiplying the talents that he's given you. Yeah, and I would add, I, I want our kids at school or our own children, I want them to have peace. I want them to have shalom. I want them to have flourishing in their lives. I think that's what all parents actually want. But peace is the confidence and trust in God's wise and good plan uh, for our lives. And the opposite of that is worry and anxiety. That's why Paul says, don't be anxious about anything with everything. Prayer and petition, make your request known. Like, come because he's good enough, he's wise enough, he's big enough. Um, and the story's actually been written, if we could step back from that. So the psalmist says, weeping may stay for the night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. And we know that story's true, and we stake our lives on it. Well, guys, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for making the sacrifice to be here and just sharing your wisdom and teachable knowledge. I know I learned a lot from this episode. Thank you, listeners, for tuning in. This has been Parenting for the Everyday. Tune in next time. Mm-hmm.